I love that video. It's a great way to start off our message time this week. And uh, Mother's Day is a, is a celebration for some. For some, it's a painful day. And for some, it's a mixture of both. And we certainly want to acknowledge all of that today. And we're going to actually do that somewhat in our message time as well. You know, we've been in the book of Ruth, and I'm really enjoying this study. But as I was looking at the passage we would be in this week, it really just didn't tie in at all with Mother's Day. And so we're going to take a break from Ruth today, and we're actually going to be in Genesis chapter 16. So if you got your Bible with you or you got a phone on you, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 16. But before we do that and dive into our message for today, sometimes it's just fun to start with something fun. And I wanted to do that this week. So I had a thought of, I wonder, what are the worst Mother's Day cards ever given? Like, if you, I'm going to show you some examples And if this is what you have for your mom today, you may want to go out and rethink your choice of cards. In fact, if I see anyone leave during the service, I'm just going to assume that's what it is, that you've realized, okay, I need to go switch one of these out. So the first card says, Mom, I'm sorry for all the really dumb things I did when I was younger. If it makes you feel any better, you only know about half of them. Would that make you feel better, moms? The next one says, my therapist says it's not all your fault, Mom which is nice. It's a good, good message. Then there's a thank you for hiring such a great nanny who was always there for me. That one's a little harsh, I guess. And the final one says, mom, I hope when I'm as old as you, I'm still lucid and have all my teeth like you do. And that's from the tween. And if you have a tween at home, that probably sounds about right. Now, I didn't just stop at cards because then I found a list of actual gifts that moms have been given on Mother's Day. And some of them were perfectly normal. Some of them were a little bit strange. I don't know if any of you have ever been given a fire extinguisher as a mom on Mother's Day, but that was one of the gifts was a fire extinguisher. Some moms reported receiving cleaning supplies. Probably not the best gift to give your mom. Although this one might be worse, hair dye. Can you imagine giving your mom hair dye for, ooh, that's a message. Uh, toilet paper was one, which, you know what, actually a couple of years ago at this time of year, that would have been a very valuable <laughs> gift. Uh, for the right mom, car parts was a Mother's Day gift, I guess, if that's, I mean, that's your thing. And then this one's probably never a good idea. It doesn't matter who your mom is, deodorant. Don't, that was an actual Mother's Day gift. Don't give your mom deodorant. So if we see anybody ducking out of service early, we'll know what's up. Mother's Day is a very special day for a lot of reasons, but it can also be a day that's hard for other people. And I do want to wish everybody a happy Mother's Day out there for all the moms. My wife does an amazing job with our kids on top of putting up with me. My mom did an awesome job raising her kids, and and she's a, a godly woman who loves Jesus and passed that on to her children and continues to do that with her grandchildren. And the drive that God puts in moms to care for and sacrifice for their kids is really, really incredible. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. So moms deserve a lot of credit. And of course, God wired them that way. God deserves credit for that. Um, and we're so thankful for moms. But being a mom can be exhausting at times. And it doesn't always look perfect. And it doesn't always look pretty. It's really a part of the sanctifying experience for, for some women, I think, to have to raise kids with all that they do. But I think that if you were to ask a lot of people who are Uh, believers in God and following him, they would say that a huge part for many of them of their story is their mom's faith and how that had an impact on them. But that's certainly not the case for everyone. 
And there are a lot of different situations out there, a lot of different stories out there. There are lots of asterisks that we have to add to Mother's Day, right? There's all these asterisks that you have to add because there's all sorts of unique situations out there. There are people that um, didn't have great moms. And, And so Mother's Day is not exactly a fun experience for them. There are people that lost a mom early in life. There are women that always wanted to be a mother but never were able to. And so for some people, Mother's Day is actually a painful reminder of of something lost or something not experienced or or something tragic that's occurred. And it takes a very mature person to be able to, on today, both affirm the happiness of others while acknowledging and, and dealing with the sadness that some of us can have in our own hearts because of what we've been through. And I've been thinking about that a lot this week and thinking about just the messiness that we can have in life sometimes and the broken relationships that we get into and how messy some of our families can be. Uh, We can have some complicated family trees, right, where where things just don't seem to work out the way God intended to originally. The family structure just gets changed in different ways, and, and it creates all sorts of challenges and struggles in our life. And that leads to feelings oftentimes of envy and and. uh anger and frustration and hurt, sadness and bitterness and, and often guilt. Uh, there's a lot of mom guilt out there for, for mistakes that, that we think we've made or, or for things that we didn't do that we wish we had done. And, and so that's a phrase that I know my wife has used a lot along the way just in, in describing all the mom guilt that people feel. And I think all of us can get this picture of what life is supposed to look like, our ideal for life. And then when it doesn't live up to that, then, then we're obviously hurt by that and we're frustrated because we had this idea of what this was supposed to be. And certainly that's true for, for mothers as well. There's this ideal of the perfect mother and this is what I need to be like. And, and when you don't do that, when life doesn't turn out that way, it can be absolutely devastating. It's a real gut check for us. So today what I want us to do is take a look at a family in the Bible, a family uh, and a couple of mothers in particular who God loved And God blessed in an incredible way. God worked through their lives and did some absolutely amazing things. They had a huge impact on the world. You are impacted by them in in a pretty significant way, probably. But if you were to ask them at the moment in time that we're going to look at today, they would not have considered themselves a highly functional family. They would not have considered themselves to be world-changing people who God was going to use to do great, amazing things. So this message is not going to be 10 steps to be a better mother To be honest with you, I'm not the person who will ever be able to give that talk. Uh, This is going to be, how do you see God show up in the middle of your mess, no matter what that looks like for you? So it'll be applicable if you're a mom, for sure. It'll be applicable if you're not a mom. It'll hopefully be applicable to everyone. And what I want you to see is maybe a fresh perspective on God and what he's doing in your life right now, whatever is going on in your circumstances. So our story, I'm going to give you a little background. Our story starts with a man named Abram. And Abram was the great, 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 great grandson of Noah, the guy that built the ark. So there's nine people because he had a grandfather and a great grandfather, and he's got eight greats in there to get all the way back to Noah. And Abram was born 352 years after the flood. He actually was born just two years after Noah, his great, 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 great grandfather passed away. So there's a two-year gap after Noah dies, then Abram is born way down the line. But Shem, Noah's son, is still alive. In fact, he's still alive for quite a while. So there's a big overlap between Shem's life and Abram's life. And so there's a good chance that Abram actually heard all about God and the amazing things that he did and how he rescued the family from the flood and all of that as he was growing up. The name Abram means exalted father, which is really interesting because Abram wasn't able to have any kids. Abram and his wife, Sarai. 
And so here's this guy. His name is Exalted Father. He's the father to no one, but he does have a great eye for business. So he builds up his wealth really well. He's got lots of flocks. He's got lots of servants and staff that work for him and his wife. And they end up moving around a few times. They go on some really cool adventures together. And Abram shows himself to be a man of great character. He's a guy that protects the innocent. He's a guy that's very generous. He's not afraid to go fight for people that that need to be fought for and make sure that he protects them. So he shows that he's got a a good sense of justice and character. And he, he does the right thing, but he doesn't have any kids. The exalted father that doesn't have any kids. So then God appears to Abram in a vision and says, even though he's old, he's going to have a son. And that son is going to have so many descendants, you can't even count them. And they're going to be a great nation. And that all brings us to Genesis chapter 16. So I hope that's given you enough time to find that in your Bible. Genesis chapter 16. Abram has at some point, I'm sure, told his wife Sarai about this promise that God made. Um, But some time has passed, and Abram and Sarai, they've been trying, still not pregnant. And it doesn't seem like God's going to deliver on his promise. So Sarai decides she's going to take matters into her own hands. Look at verse 1 of chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. I like how she just puts that off on God. The Lord has prevented me from having children. Now, you know, the same Lord that gave you that promise. Yeah, he's prevented me from having children. So go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. Now, isn't that a bizarre suggestion to make? Can you ever imagine such a thing? It seems really, really strange for us today, but I want us to think about this in historical context a little bit. So back in this time, it wasn't exactly unusual for men to have multiple wives. So so that kind of a thing would occur. They'd have concubines, those sorts of things. I'm not saying that's good. That's just that was a cultural thing that would happen. So it probably didn't seem that out of place for her to recommend. But also consider the fact that today, if you're not able to have kids, we've got ways to deal with that. We've got procedures, we've got things we can do, medical things we can do. You can even do surrogate pregnancy without, without all the same methods that you'd have to use back in this day. But they didn't have those options back then. This was the only choice. And notice what Sarai says in, in verse 2. She doesn't say, um, then you can have children through Hagar. She says, perhaps I can have children through her. So Sarai views this as being her child. Hagar will be the surrogate. There's only one way to make that happen. So Abram, you can do that. And then I will have a child courtesy of Hagar, the surrogate. And that that child then can fulfill the promise and they can take care of us when we're old. They can be the heir and, and inherit all of this and become the great nation. And Abram, to his credit, said, no, Sarai, my marriage covenant is with you and you alone and God will provide a child just as he promised. Abram, if you're following along in the text, that was just a a check, said, okay, (laughs) sounds good to me. He went along with it. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, verse 3, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Who could have seen this coming? Who could have predicted that this plan would not work out well for Sarai? All of a sudden, Hagar is now pregnant and we know who was the problem in the relationship, why they couldn't have kids. 
Abraham's not the problem. Sarai's the problem. And so now Hagar is thinking, hey, you know what? I think I've moved up in the world at this point. Now, it's worth pausing here for a minute to just think about the mistakes that we've seen up to this point. What is leading up to this problem? Well, first of all, they're not trusting in God to fulfill his promise. They, weren't, they didn't have faith in him. They thought, we need, to, we need to help this along. That was the second mistake, trying to help God along. Let's, let's push this forward a little bit. We'll come up with our own way to try to accomplish what God said. Another one is thinking that the ends justify the means. Here, have adultery with this woman who works for us. It's for a good cause. You know, not, not a very good plan. And then Abram, of course, he just decides, I'm going to go along with it. And it's hard to know here, who do you blame more? Sarai came up with a plan. Abram went along with it. Abram actually was the one who received the promise from God. So maybe he's a little bit more responsible because he sort of authorized this plan and went along with it, even though he's the one that heard the message from God about the promise. And, uh, and so maybe he's the one that's most responsible here. But all of them made mistakes. Abram, Sarai, and, and Hagar. Hey, why didn't Hagar say, no, my master, far be it for me to do this horrible thing? No, no, Hagar, all of them were involved in this together. So you kind of have this, this goofy Old Testament love triangle going on, only there's no love, so it's just a triangle. You've just got this weird triangle going on between these three people doing their own thing. And what we see is just this brokenness of the human heart. There's so much brokenness, and it's going to lead to so much more brokenness. If you think that things are messed up today, if you think that your family's messed up, your family of origin or the family you're in now or the culture today, the people around you, the, the media today, if you think that things are messed up now and that back in Bible times it was just like all awesome, no. No, everybody was messed up back then too. This is a complicated family tree we're building here with Sarai and Abram and Hagar. Their families were just as messed up as ours. Now let's keep reading in verse four. Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to mistreat Sarai with contempt. Um, so suddenly Sarai's plan was not so great anymore. This didn't work out well for, here, for her. And Hagar starts to treat Sarai poorly. Um, what exactly that looked like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you know, Sarai would ask her to do something and Hagar would be like, I don't think I can do that anymore. I'm pregnant. And I'm pregnant with Abram's child. You know, maybe she just rubbed it in a little bit, sort of twisted the dagger a little bit. But somehow Hagar is treating Sarai with contempt and Sarai's going to have none of it. And so she says in verse five, this is all your fault. She says to Abram, I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. I love how she just appeals to God here as if Sarah is just this innocent party and in all of this who never saw any of this coming. How could this possibly backfire? The Lord will tell you who's wrong, her or me. It's like, Sarah, you, you created this situation. You were a part of what caused all of this. You need to own up to it. This is the natural consequence to her actions, but she doesn't recognize that at all. She's the victim, even though she's reaping what she sowed. And I think this gives us an important lesson for you and I to learn. And, and that's the same lesson Sarah needed to learn, which is that God will keep his promises in his timing. God will keep his promises in his timing. One of the verses that we cling to as Christians is Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, I want to leave that on the screen for a minute. I want you to look at that verse and tell me what is missing. There's something really important missing from this that you and I really, really want. What's missing? When? The timeline. The schedule. Is, are we talking tomorrow, next week, a month from now, three months from now, a year from now? How long am I going to have to wait for this to work together for good? 
Is it going to work together for good in this lifetime? Or is it going to work together for good ultimately in heaven? Like, when does this all work for good to those who know God and are called according to his purpose? We're missing the deadline. It's like Paul said in Galatians 6. He says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. When will we reap a harvest of blessing according to this? When will you reap a harvest of blessing if you keep doing good? At just the right time. And when is that? I have no idea. I don't know when the right time. Who gets to decide when the right time is? God. We don't know when the right time is. We don't know when everything is going to work out for good. We know that these are promises to us. And we can cling to and hold to those promises. But, but God will keep his promises in his timing. We can't necessarily force it or manufacture it to happen. Sometimes God is just saying to us, wait, wait, wait. Last week, someone told me how they tried for years to, to, to accomplish something, and they'd been praying about it, and they'd been trying to orchestrate it and manipulate it to sort of force it to happen. And finally, they just had to let go and say, I can't, I can't be the Holy Spirit to this person. I can't force this to happen. And then finally, recently, they started to see it all come around. They started to see God at work in the person's life, not through what they were trying to orchestrate or manipulate, but they just saw it happen. They saw God doing it and they realized, oh wow, this is God's timing. This is him at work. Nothing I could do could sort of force this to happen and God came through. God often works this way in our lives. He often makes us wait. Maybe some of you are in a waiting stage right now and there's some brokenness going on and you just want it to be restored and you want it to work out for good. And you're like, God, why not now? Why not today? Why not this week? And I think we need to learn that if God gave us all the blessings we want right away, we wouldn't learn to trust him in the waiting. There are times where we are waiting and God is trying to teach us something and he wants us to learn patience and endurance and trust and faith and hope in him. And if he just solved all of our problems right away, then where would that growth and learning be if we didn't have to go through that process? See, Sarah, I didn't trust God in the waiting. So she came up with this bad idea and Abram and Hagar went along with it. Now it's not working out so hot for Sarah. So she goes to Abram. She complains about Hagar's treatment of her. And we know from earlier that Abram was a man of, of character most of the time, that he protected the innocent. He was a just man. He was a good businessman. But the problem is he wasn't exactly a very competent leader of his family. So his very proactive and peacemaking solution to this conflict was to say this. Look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Are you noticing a trend here? Abram, I've got this great idea. You should go sleep with my servant, and that's how we'll provide a son for God to use. And Abram's like, okay. And then Sarah comes to him later and says, hey, we got this problem. Our plan didn't work out so hot. She's not treating me great. I'm kind of upset with her. I want you to deal with it. And Abram's like, no, nah, I'm not going to do anything. You take care of it. You deal with it. She's your servant. Deal with her as you see fit. And what you see here is Abram abdicating his responsibility as a leader in his family and in his home. He failed to take ownership for the mess that he created. And so did Sarai. And so I want to pause for a minute here and just talk about the guys for a second. I know it's a Mother's Day thing. It's a Mother's Day message, but we've got a little window here into a mistake that Abram made. So we're just going to talk to the guys for a bit. What could Abram have done differently? Sometimes it's really helpful to look at the mistake, take a step back and think, how, how, could, we, how could we approach this a little bit differently? Well, he could have taken responsibility for his part of the problem. He could have started there. By just saying, you know what? I am to blame for this. I did not lead us well in making sure that this situation didn't happen. He could have started there. He could have led his wife, Sarai, and Hagar 
in apologizing for his actions and lack of faith in God by going along with this. He could have then asked Sarai and Hagar to consider their part in causing the problem and to see what they had to say about that. He could have led them all in discussing the best and most God-honoring path forward, given the mess that they had made. There are a lot of things that he could have done to lead in this situation. When we talk about husbands and fathers being leaders in the home, we're not talking about authoritarian, domineering kind of leadership. That's not real leadership. Um, that's, that's not what we're talking about. When we talk about husbands and fathers leading the home, we're talking about taking initiative. We're talking about taking initiative to help their families solve problems and to cast vision for a better future and to restore relationships. That kind of initiative taking in the home, that's what leadership looks like for a husband and for a father, not barking orders and do as I say and all that kind of stuff. And what Abram's doing is here is he's just, he stepped up to the plate, he took a big swing and a miss. Abram, we've got this problem. Abram's like, I'm not gonna deal with it. You're gonna have to deal with it, even though he was a big part of making the mess. That's not leadership in the home. So in verse six, we see Abram replied, look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. And now we, we jump to a new section of the story. In verse seven, the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. So Sarai has treated Hagar so, so harshly that she's run away at this point, and the angel of the Lord shows up to her. Let me just stop there for a minute to talk about this angel of the Lord, because there are lots of different perspectives on what this could be. The angel of the Lord phrasing that's used throughout the Old Testament, and a couple times in the New Testament, is sometimes accompanied with a first-person description of being Lord or God, um, and so that has caused some confusion a little bit about, is this an angel that's a messenger of God? There, there are three main views. There's a few others as well, but the, the main views are maybe this is an angel, a messenger, and the reason why sometimes the angel of the Lord speaks as if he is God is because he's the messenger of God, so he's speaking in the first person, and that would happen sometimes. You'd have a messenger of a king who would deliver a message, and he would actually give the message in the first person as if he was the king himself, so that's not so unrealistic. Um, some scholars think that maybe the angel of the Lord was a, a personification of God, not necessarily Jesus, but, but God himself, God the Father coming in and, and some representation of him. Some scholars um, think that. And then the view that I personally hold, which, which I know a lot of people hold, is that this was a Christophany. And that means this is an, an appearance of Jesus Christ pre-incarnation. So before he came to this earth, born of the Virgin Mary, in, in his body as a human, as Jesus the man, this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, showing up in some kind of visible form to interact with people in the Old Testament. And you see that, that there are times where the angel of the Lord is described as being God or being the Lord, which, which would lead me to think this, and there's some other evidence for it as well. But there are lots of great scholars that hold to those three different views, so I wanted to touch on it a little bit because I know it's something many people are curious about. What is the angel of the Lord? And, and now you know what my view is, but there are different scholars with different views on this, and that's okay. But what's more important than who the angel of the Lord is, it's either a messenger of God, which in which case it represents God, or it's God the Father in some form, or it's Jesus Christ as a Christophany. Whatever your view is, even if that changes, it's not going to affect your theology that much. I mean, if, if we get to heaven, God's like, you were wrong about that one, Adam. That was actually a, an angel, a messenger of mine. Angel just means messenger. It wasn't actually Jesus Christ in a Christophany. Then I'm like, okay, fine. That's all right. That doesn't change that much to me. But what's more important is what the angel says. 
And in verse eight, the angel says to Hagar, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from? And where are you going? She says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are pregnant now and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears, for the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Now, are there any moms out there that can relate to that description of their child? He'll be a wild man, as wild as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist to everyone. And I'm sure that there are moms out there thinking, my goodness, my kid is just running around and breaking stuff, and I can't get control of him, and he's 25 now. When will this stop? This is an interesting description of what her son will be like. Interesting, uh, most interesting gender reveal party ever, by the way. Angel of the Lord shows up. They don't have a way to know the gender. Angel of the Lord shows up and he's like, it's a boy. And his life is going to be incredibly challenging, but he's going to have a ton of kids. Mixed messages. What do we make of that? It's a mixture of blessing and consequences. Because they, they messed up. The family tree is kind of broken up a little bit here. And so there's some blessings involved because God still loves them. He cares about them. He's shown up in her time of distress. This is probably the darkest day of Hagar's life up to this point. And so the angel of the Lord is there to give her guidance and to show that God still cares about her. But at the same time, it's like there are real consequences to the actions that you took. And this is, this is going to make life difficult. And he's going to have a hard time and the family's not going to always get along. It's going to be rough because there are consequences to this. At the same time, God still cares about you. In fact, they've solved what they're going to name the kid. The angel of the Lord says, you're going to call him Ishmael. Do you know what Ishmael means? God hears. God hears you, Hagar. Because the angel says, the Lord has heard your cry of distress. And we learned something really cool about God here even in her darkest moment where she's messed up and now everybody's turned against her and she is on her own, pregnant in the wilderness, on her own. Where does she go next? How does she care for herself? What's gonna happen to this child that she has completely turned away by Abram and Sarai, which by the way, what a horrible thing that they did. Let's not gloss over that. That's terrible. Just sending her off. And it's at that moment that God shows up in her life and says, I hear you. I hear your cry of distress. I am the God who hears. And Sarai, Sarai's response, or not Sarai, Hagar's response is to give God a new name. She calls God by a new name at this point. In verse 13, thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. And she said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? The God who hears and the God who sees because life is messy and life is challenging and it's full of hardships and and moms in particular carry this massive burden for their families, 
a huge burden for their families and for their kids and for their marriages. And moms make mistakes like, like everybody else. And the weight of that can feel so huge. And some moms have lost children and some women want to be moms but haven't been able to like Sarai. And some moms are going solo and, and trying to basically be mom and dad to their, their kid or kids. And some moms are the only spiritual leader in their home because the husband's not a follower of Jesus or even if he is, he's not stepping up and being a leader there. So there's an extra burden to carry there. And some women have adopted kids and that comes with its own unique set of challenges. And some women are spiritual mothers, even if they don't have their own children in their family. And moms come in all sorts of different forms like this in different situations, and they face lots of difficult challenges. And, and just like for Hagar, this, is, this was the darkest moment in her life. And here's what she needed to learn. And it's the message that I want everybody to take away today. God makes beautiful things out of broken messes. God makes beautiful things out of broken messes messes. It's what he does. It's what he loves to do. And it's probably what a lot of moms need to hear today and what everybody needs to hear today. God loves to take broken things and, and make them beautiful again. And as I was thinking this week about how to, how to make this stick, how to, how to help give you some kind of a visual that you could anchor this to in your mind so that you remember moving forward, like what, what this truth is that God makes beautiful things out of broken messes. I thought of this, this thing they do in Japan. It's a traditional thing called kintsugi. And kintsugi means um, golden joining or, or, or golden rejoining. And it's the idea of they will take a plate or a bowl or a vase or something with significant value that, that has broken accidentally. It's fallen apart. And they will painstakingly put it back together. There are masters that will do this over months with a special lacquer that they make from tree sap. And they'll put that in the cracks and they'll put it together. And over several months, they'll put more and more layers and they'll join this thing back together. And then at some point, when the piece is all put back together, they will actually put gold dust over the cracks with the lacquer and the gold dust will stick there. And so what you are left with is something that looks like this. The idea is that broken things can be made more beautiful, not by pretending the breaks never happened, but by restoring them to be more beautiful because of the cracks in the past. See, they're not trying to hide the cracks. They're not trying to restore it in a way that makes it seem like it was never broken. They're trying to make something more beautiful and even more meaningful because it was broken and then put back together. And isn't that a perfect metaphor for what God does in our lives? See, when we think about God's restoration and about God taking broken things and making them into something beautiful, what, what I think we think instinctively is, God, I want you to make it like this thing never happened. I want you to make it like it was before, before the cracks, before the brokenness. I want you to just restore me to that point pre-break. That's not what God does. What God actually does is he puts you back together in his timing, in his way, in a way that the cracks make something more beautiful than what was there before. Think about it. Some of the most difficult times you've gone through in your life, can you look back now and see how God was teaching you and growing you through that? It becomes a part of your story. It becomes a part of your journey. It becomes a part of your testimony about how God did something amazing in your life. Those cracks are covered in gold now. It's not that we need God to make it like nothing ever happened in our life that was a problem. What we need is for God to bring restoration in our life so that we can point to the crack in our life and say, but look what God did. That's what God does in our life. He takes broken things that are messed up 
and he turns them into something beautiful, even more beautiful than they were before. Kintsugi, the Japanese art of taking that broken pottery, putting it back together, and then showing the cracks with gold. That's the visual I want you to leave with today. And that's what I think God wants to do in your life. Now, maybe you're at a point where you're, you're, your life is currently like the broken plate that's just sitting on the floor, and it's just dropped, and now the pieces are all over the place, and you're wondering, when is God going to put this back together? He is going to. For those that are called according to his purpose, we know that God works all things out for good. He's going to, but you have to trust in his timing. You have to wait on him. You have to have faith and hope and understand that he's not going to make you just like you were before. He's going to make you better. He's going to use this to help you grow in some way, even if you can't see what that looks like today, because this is what God does. He's promised to do it, but he's going to do it in his timing. Now, the reality is that for some people, their life's broken and it's messed up. And there's this huge crack down the middle that is the result of actually not even having a relationship with God and not even really having that walk with God where he's going to be able to put them back together. And so there are all sorts of cracks that happen in our life and breaks that happen. But the biggest one that we need to deal with is our relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that figured out, then none of the other stuff is even going to matter in your life. And so the first thing you need to do if you don't know Jesus as your savior is to give your life to him, to commit to him and say, God, I want you to come into my life and take away all the sin and this mess and restore me and make me whole again. And I trust you to do it. And so if you've never done that, if you've never given your life to Jesus, man, today's the day to do that, to enter into a new relationship with him where he becomes the master restorer in your life, the redeemer of the brokenness, the one who's going to put the pieces back together in his time and make something more beautiful and amazing than it was even before it broke. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, I know there's a, a good chance that there are people in this room or watch online right now who are... Um, just recently post break and there are some cracks that have formed maybe today maybe this morning or this week God and they need to know that you love them and you hear them and you see them you hear their cry of distress and you want to do something amazing in their life and we know that eventually <laughs> you work things out for Ishmael in an incredible way and you watched over him you protected him you guided him you built him into an incredible nation yeah he did have problems with his family but you also kept your promises and you made him very successful you even brought him back to be with Isaac and Abraham at his father's death and reunited them as a family and God we want to see that kind of restoration happen in our life even with the messes that we've made even with the brokenness that we have and for all the moms that are out there today who are wondering if they're good enough or wondering if they've screwed up too much or wondering if, if these broken pieces will ever come back together I just pray that you give them hope today Lord, I pray that you'd help them to have a, a sense of confidence in you that you are going to take all these things and make something beautiful out of them even if we don't understand what it is, God. Help them to have that kind of faith. And for anybody here or watch online who doesn't have a relationship with you where you are currently putting those pieces back together for them, God, I pray that you would show them how real you are, how much you love them, how much you care about them, because as much as today is about loving our moms and the love that moms have for us, really, this is all uh, ultimately about you and your love for us, God. So my prayer is that you would speak into their heart, show them that you love them, that you care about them, that you want to offer them a new life full of restoration. And maybe today will be the beginning of an incredible journey that ends up with something beautiful out of a broken mess. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.